For better or worse, he still has the vim and vigor of a much younger man, but his mind is a leaky ship in search of a lighthouse surrounded by jagged rocks. That is an outstanding blurb from the review of David Ehrlich of IndieWire talking about The Father. That is our featured movie this week. Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman are both destined to get Academy Award nominations, which are coming out two weeks from today. And of course, the Golden Globes took place yesterday, in which Hopkins and Coleman were both nominated for their performances as Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress. So we'll talk about The Father. We'll talk about the Golden Globes. I care a lot on Netflix. Rosamund Pike won Best Actress last night, musical or comedy. I uh, will review that film. In addition, Tom and Jerry for the kids. It's in theaters now. I was able to check it out at the AMC in uh, Paramus, New Jersey. Uh, in addition to that, big news here. But Coming to America, coming out this Friday. Uh, we're embargoed from actually reviewing the film until Thursday. But we have Jermaine Fowler, who is the star of the film. He plays Eddie Murphy's kid. Uh, he's hilarious, and he is coming up momentarily. He's got great stories, how he auditioned for the role, working with Eddie Murphy or Arsenio Hall, all the rest of it. Uh, and back to the beginning and talking about The Father, we're reviewing the greatest films, The Mount Rushmore of Sir Anthony Hopkins, which has obviously been a remarkable career. I, I don't even know how we're going to be able to do this, but we're going to try to attempt a Mount Rushmore of Sir Anthony Hopkins and his best films at 83 years of age, knocking it out of the park with The Father. As always, appreciate all the... Uh, uh, rave reviews here on Apple Podcasts. Please just subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know your thoughts. As always, you can hit me up on Twitter as well at Adnan S. Furk or Cinephile Pod and let us know what uh, what you're thinking about. As far as reviews here, we got one here, uh, uh, Gaugun88. G-A-U-G-U-I-N. Gaugun. Gaugun? Gaugun. Cinephile is a podcast to savor. I savor every episode. The movie lodge, love of cinema, makes me a true cinephile. Love Mount Rushmore. Make sure takes the movies that should have won Oscars each year. Please revisit. All right, we'll, we'll have to bring back Total Recall, perhaps. Like Joe's increased presence and what he adds to Adnan's thoughts. Joe's increasing role, I agree, is a good thing. Never worry about taking an hour. It's an hour I enjoy, look forward to each week. I love it. Gauguin, thank you so much. Uh, Captain Caveman, the captain steers the ship. That is correct. Uh, not really a review, but thank you for the comment and at least giving us uh, five stars. As always, I rank my movies out of four-way beliefs. Please rank these movies out of five stars. Let's talk about The Father. So this is quite the trilogy here. I say this on a somber note. It is the Dementia Trilogy. All right, think about this. Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth in Supernova, guy dying, suffering from mental illness. Falling, which I recently reviewed, starring Lance Henriksen, Viggo Mortensen, directorial debut, also about dementia. And now we have The Father. And The Father is the best of the three films. And for anybody, again, who has had a loved one go through this process, I caution you in watching this film because it is... A tough, tough watch and very, very bleak. But in terms of what Viggo Mortensen was trying to attempt with the father, excuse me, with falling, I think the father does it even more expertly. And as Viggo had said in talking about falling, he had a loved one go through this process and he wanted to show what it's like for them, how disorienting it is. There's been other great films about dementia. Uh, Away From Her is a great Canadian film. Uh, if you recall, it starred Gordon Pinson and Julie Christie. Julie Christie, I thought everyone thought was going to win the Oscar. I don't believe she did. I, I won't remember off the top of my head what ended up winning. But Julie Christie was great. May have won a Golden Globe for that performance. But obviously a great British actress shows up in this film from 2006. As I mentioned, Canadian film. And it was amazing uh, seeing her dealing with Alzheimer's and uh, all the rest of it. Yeah, she did win a SAG Award. She won a Screen Actors Guild Award standing performance. And she was nominated for an Academy Award. Did not win. Um, Still Alice is a great film. Julianne Moore, we remember that. She won an Academy Award for that performance. Again, suffering from Alzheimer's. So there's been good movies to deal with this terrain, but I got to tell you, The Father is in a category of its own. Anthony, that's right, Anthony Hopkins playing a character named Anthony, 
or maybe it is actually Anthony, just with the British accents, it sounds like Anthony to me, but Anthony, 80, mischievous, living defiantly alone and rejecting the carers that his daughter, Anne, Academy Award and Golden Globe winner, Olivia Coleman, encouragingly introduce. Help is also becoming a necessity for Anne. She can't make daily visits anymore, and Anthony's grip on reality is unraveling. As we experience the ebb and flow of his memory, how much of his own identity and past can Anthony cling to? How does Anne cope as she grieves the loss of her father while he lives and breathes before her? The father warmly embraces real life through loving reflection upon the vibrant human condition, heartbreaking and uncompromisingly poignant. A movie that nestles in the truth of our own lives. Backstory, Florian Zeller is the director. He wrote the play, 2012. So adapts it... Rather than adapt, this is interesting for a writer, rather than adapt his own material, he got Christopher Hampton, who did Atonement, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to adapt it, and then he directed it. So directorial debut here. And if there's a flaw to the father, it is at times a little claustrophobic. It is uh, completely the story told indoors. Yet again, another in a long line, it appears, of films that are based on plays. From Ma Rainey's Black Bottom to this one, it can feel, yes, a little stagey at times. I just think the whole directorial style is a little bit flat, like with Supernova, Dick Pope is the cinematographer. Dick Pope is unbelievable. He did Mr. Turner, great film about a painter, uh, Mike Lee's movie. So he was able to make England, and especially those outdoor scenes, you know, rather rustic. In the case of The Father, Zeller's camera is fairly static, and it's not a particularly visually appealing film. But again, you're not seeing this movie for the visuals. You're seeing it for the story, and you're seeing it for the Titanic acting. And it's one of the great performances of Anthony Hopkins' career as a man in his 80s still showing that he's got the acting hustle. The great Owen Gleiberman of Variety called it King Lear in the Twilight Zone, which is, again, an outstanding way of describing this movie. The movie opens with Olivia Coleman looking after her father. Anthony Hopkins is there. She says she's going to go make a chicken. She leaves in the other room. He goes back in the other room, and also there's a guy sitting there. He's like, who are you? He's like, who are you in my flat? Who are you? Get out of here. I demand, who are you? And the guy starts saying, it's okay, I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to call Anne. He's like, who the hell's Anne? He's like, Anne's your daughter, and I'm her husband. And he's like, oh, okay. And you can tell there's a look of recognition, or at least, sorry, not recognition. He does not recognize this guy, but he's trying to pretend he's recognizing him. Oh, okay, yeah, I know you are. I was just playing along kind of thing. Okay, sure, yeah, this is my place, just so you know. Hey, don't get too comfortable kind of thing. And you very quickly get a sense this is not his place. This is Anne's place and this husband. A couple minutes later, a woman comes in saying it's his daughter, Anne, but it's not Olivia Coleman. And she's saying, he's like, where's the chicken? She's like, what do you mean with chicken? Like, I, I, there's no chicken. It's, it's middle of the day. And he's like, I thought you were making a chicken. Like, no, no, no. And now we as the audience are like, what the hell's going on here? Because it looked like it was Olivia Coleman was his daughter, and now it's somebody else. Later, Anne's husband comes in. And, but it's a different guy. And now you're like, hang on a second. What the? F- That's Rufus Sewell, who you recognize from his films. And he apparently is Anne's husband. And then later on, a caretaker comes in, and it's Olivia Williams. And again, Anthony is confused. Wait, what happened to the other caretaker? I don't like this one. So he really does a great job, Florian Zeller, of putting us in the character and in the mind of the character. Because clearly, his mind is starting to fall apart and disintegrate before our very eyes. He thinks one person is the other person. He's confused who these people are. And rather than having the same actors and having him just call them by different names, the real conceit of the film is it's different actors playing the different people he's confusing them for. It's a little bit of a beautiful mind when Ed Harris doesn't actually exist, but in Russell Crowe's mind, he exists and he's talking to him. He's telling him this and that, but nobody else can see him. And the movie doesn't reveal that till late in the movie. Here, it's right out of the gate. You can tell, no, no, this guy doesn't know where he is. And the greatness of Hopkins' performance is he's got so many different layers to it. This isn't just a doddering old man. At times, he's funny. 
He's mischievous. He's flirtatious. When one of the, the women come in there, even though it's his little tap dance at one point, but then he's ferocious. He turns on his daughter, accuses her of betraying him, accuses her of wanting his money, and that she wants him to die. And that's why she's bringing these homekeepers in here. Horrible. And then at times, especially near the ending, I'll not give it away, it becomes heartbreakingly sad. It's because of all those different shades and colors that Anthony Hopkins is going to get nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor. And why, if it wasn't for Chadwick Boseman, who I think is going to win for his posthumous performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Hopkins might win his second Academy Award. He actually himself calls this the favorite role of his career, which I know most actors, I mean, what are they going to say, right? They're promoting the movie. They didn't like the movie? No, it's the best performance of my career. Really? But his reasoning was actually kind of funny. He said, I don't want to sound conceited, but it was a very easy role for me to play because he actually has, thank God, his mental faculties at 83. And he said, my memory is actually quite sharp. So I was able to understand how to play a guy like this. And those emotional beats are, again, not to sound conceited, quite easy for me. Must be nice to be in Sir Anthony Hopkins. You can just knock a role like this out of the park. Olivia Coleman, also excellent supporting performance, uh, tender and loving and trying to do the best for her father as she realizes that he's slipping away. The Father's a film. I'm going to give it three Maple Leafs. As I said, I just think the visual style could have used a little juice. But as far as chamber dramas, the kind of movies that Hollywood doesn't make enough anymore, it's sad and it's certainly powerful. And those performances are something that will be remembered. Peter Travers, formerly of Rolling Stone, now ABC News. Anthony Hopkins delivers a master class in acting as a once brilliant man losing his mental faculties to the plague of dementia. First time director Florian Zeller turns his modern King Lear of a play into essential cinema. Alison Wilmore of New York Magazine slash Vulture, masterful and agonizing. The Father is a gorgeously crafted film about a doomed arrangement entered into with love, even though it can only end in tragedy. And Leah Greenblatt of Entertainment Weekly, Zeller working from his own acclaimed 2012 French language play, Le Père, which means The Father, is able to turn devastating illness into a kind of disjointed poetry and one still threaded with real emotional resonance. The Father, I saw it in theaters here in New Jersey, I'm not sure where you can see it. I'm sure it'll be streaming at some point. Hopefully you can go see it in the theater, as I did, because it's a very immersive experience. Three Maple Leafs. Joe? And it, it sounds like this is a drama, but with like uh, all, the, all these characters changing throughout the film and confusing Anthony Hopkins, does it kind of have an element of a thriller to it, or is it a thriller and a drama? What, how would you classify this? Uh, you know, it's kind of a little bit of elements of like a psychological thriller, because you can feel like his mind is slipping away, but this is definitely a drama. I'm like, there's no... Uh, there's no real elements of impending doom, but I, I guess you could say, Joe, maybe in some ways it's almost like a horror film because you can tell this guy is falling apart and how horrific that experience must be. Gotcha, gotcha. And it, it, I'm taking it, it's not a, a film you can passively watch. You have, to, you have to be engaged from start to finish to appreciate it. Absolutely. It's 97 minutes. It's a fairly grim viewing experience, but yeah, I would not uh, suggest being on your phone because like I said, the first 20 minutes, you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on because you're like, well, obviously... This guy's not that guy, and I thought that was that guy, and what does this mean now? And are they going to tell us who who is, or how is it going to end up? And thankfully, all those answers are revealed. But yes, you've got to be, uh, be taken along for the journey and not be looking at your phone. Next film is I Care A Lot, which was recommended to me by a couple of people at MLB Network. And I said, okay, fine, I'll check it out. It's on Netflix. Poised with shark-like self-assurance, Maria, excuse me, Marla Grayson, Academy Award nominee, Rosamund Pike, and as I said, she just won a Golden Globe last night. A professional court-appointed guardian for dozens of elderly wards whose assets she seizes and cunningly bilks through dubious but legal means. Dubious, underrated word. It's a well-oiled racket that Marla and her business partner and lover, Fran, use with beautiful efficiency on their latest cherry 
Jennifer Peterson, two-time Academy Award winner, Diane Weist. Love seeing Diane Weist show up in the movie again. A wealthy retiree with no living heirs or family, when their mark turns out to have an equally shady secret of her own and connections to a volatile gangster, Golden Globe winner, Peter Dinklage. Marla is forced to level up in a game only predators can play, one that's neither fair nor square. So I like the first 40 minutes of this movie a lot because it's a real black comedy. And Rosamund Pike seems to excel at playing these villainous characters. She almost enjoys sinking her incisors into this type of material. Like, oh, it's a lot more fun to be bad. It's wicked to be bad rather than be wicked to be good. And so playing a woman who is clearly taking advantage of these old people, she appears to be enjoying the experience and relishes playing this kind of character. That's why I'm not surprised she won a Golden Globe Award for her performance. But I've got to be honest, before I rave about this film too much, I enjoy the first 40 minutes of it and the look of it from Jay Blakeson, but then it ultimately devolves into a fairly routine, formulaic thriller. And I, I looked at a couple of plot holes, and listen, I, I like the fact that you're supporting the LGBTQ2 community. Like, you know, it's a lesbian film about her and her lover, Isaac Gonzalez, uh, trying to stay together and overcome, and it's not done in a gratuitous sense. But I thought this was going to be something it was, and then it didn't go in that direction. Meaning, I thought it was about white-collar crime and her being deceitful and screwing the seniors out of their money, particularly Diane Weiss, too. She doesn't know who her connections are. But then the second half of the film, as I said, just becomes a fairly routine thriller. Cat and mouse. Dinklage is the bad guy. I like the fact that Dinklage is in it. Obviously, he's a good actor. They don't, they don't even draw attention to the fact he's a little person. Just He happens to be this Russian gangster who is not someone you want to mess with. Um, but then I just thought it became a fairly straightforward thriller. And the ending... I had some issues with as well. Sometimes these movies, I think, get a little too cute for their own good. I didn't find it particularly believable or convincing. Um, and that's where that's at. I wish I had more to say about the movie because, honestly, I was so excited going in. And as I said, I thought it really hit the ground running early on. I, I will give credit to those trio performances, Pike, Dinklage, and Diane Wiest. Um, and Isaac Gonzalez is, is fine as the uh, love interest as well. Chris Messina shows up for a minute. But this is one of those movies that I say, okay, I like the fact it's cynical. I like where it's going. But it's not nearly a bleak or black enough comedy for my tastes. And even, this is very much Golden Globes, to give her an Academy Award for Best Actress, Musical, or Comedy, I don't think if we could go back to Blockbuster, I would find I care a lot on the comedy section. It's not exactly, uh, you know, trading places here when it comes to comedies. I would say it's more of a thriller, so I would even take issue with the role of a comedy. But yes, the first 40 minutes or so uh, is a bleak comedy. Uh, Too many beliefs. I was hoping to be better. Joe, it's on Netflix. And then I watched it yesterday. I overall liked it. Uh, I, th- I think you're right. I, I compare this to when, like, The Martian was nominated for <laughs> for, for a Golden Globe and won musical or comedy that year. Because you're you're right. It's not necessarily um, funny. Ha ha, funny. I did like Peter Dinklage's role in it. It was, you know, a reminder of how good of an actor he is, having watched every season of Game of Thrones. And Rosamund Pike yesterday at the Golden Globes thanking the broken U.S. legal system to actually be able to tell stories like this. I thought it was fascinating and good information to get that, you know, people can be taken advantage of in this way. But ultimately, you're you're right. I, I would give it two and a half Three Maple Leafs. Um, I really liked her performances. The acting was good, but ultimately, to your point, it just kind of fell flat towards the end. And the ending, I won't say anything about it. I just heard your reaction to it. But that particular actor at the ending from Blue Ruin, I thought that that was absolutely perfect. Nice. Blue Ruin. Very good. So you liked it more than me. I care a lot. Currently on Netflix. You can all go check it out. Ty Burr of Boston Globe, one of my favorite film critics. Marla Grayson is less a three-dimensional person or even an interesting two-dimensional one than a symptom of a sick society. And symptoms 
wear out their welcome pretty quickly. I agree with that. Anthony Lane of New Yorker, the trouble with I care a lot is not how cynical it seems, but how pleased it is with that cynicism forever straining to top its own tastelessness. One more review, and then we'll get to the Golden Globe reviews. Tom and Jerry, legendary rivalry reemerges when Jerry moves into New York City's finest hotel on the eve of the wedding of the century, forcing the desperate event planner to hire Tom to get rid of him. As mayhem ensues, the escalating cat and mouse battle soon threatens to destroy her career, the wedding, and possibly the hotel itself. I love Tom and Jerry, right? Old school Hanna-Barbera, always felt bad for Tom, just getting screwed every time. Like, he's a good cat, he just wants to enjoy his life, and this freaking mouse keeps pissing him off, like enough of Jerry, okay? I'd love to strangle Jerry, so I'm, I'm definitely on Team Tom. So that definitely lends my frustration whenever I watch anything Tom and Jerry, because I go, man, why doesn't Tom ever, ever, ever get what he deserves here? All right? They're, they're the, the, the best of enemies and the worst of friends. The problem with Tom and Jerry the movie, and by the way, it got scorched on Rotten Tomatoes, 26%. I'm not going to be nearly as harsh. I'm going to give it two Maple Leafs, because again, I'm watching through the lenses of three of my four children who were thrilled to be in a movie theater. Shout out to AMC. We are doing all we can to keep you guys alive, okay? This movie is on HBO Max. I very easily could have watched it here and put up some microwave popcorn. But no, I'll drive the 15 minutes just so my kids can enjoy the theatrical experience, okay? $39.66 for tickets, $40.50 for three slushies, a large popcorn, and chicken tenders for dad. $80, bucks. AMC, you're welcome. Chloe Grace Moretz plays the main character. Love her, right? Kick ass. She's 24 years old now. She plays this cute girl who loses her job, then steals, basically, I don't want to say steals, but she, she corrupts a person into saying that they're not going to get this job at a hotel, takes the girl's resume, pretends that she's her, gets the job, and she's the star of the film. Michael Pena shows up. He's uh, one of the guys running the hotel. And then the story is mainly about a wedding between Pallavi Sharda, who plays Preeta. She's a Bollywood actress, very pretty. At first, I'm watching it, and I'm like, wait, I, I think they're going to have an Indian wedding here. Like, at first, I'm like, oh, she could be Latina. Like, it's very rare to see a, a mixed interracial wedding in a big screen film. So on that alone, as a South Asian, great to see, okay? Brown girl, white guy, let's go. Colin Jost, by the way, plays the white guy, uh, Ben, which, again, as I'm watching, I'm like, is that Colin Jost? What is he doing in this movie? Doesn't he have better things to do? Mr. Scarlett Johansson, Mr. SNL? But no, he's marrying a brown girl here in Tom and Jerry. And it does get progressively more brown, which I was thrilled to see. I mean, like a classic Hindu wedding. You know, they got elephants coming in here. Everyone's wearing very elaborate clothing. They didn't crank up any bungra, but at least it was going in that direction. But all of which is to say, this is like a movie about their wedding and Chloe Grace Moretz being this, I don't want to say bumbling bellhop, but, you know, trying to hang on to her job and Pena just showing up mugging for the cameras. Then about Tom and Jerry. Like, I thought this was a Tom and Jerry movie. So I'm expecting Tom and Jerry for 90 minutes. Literally, cat and mouse antics. At best guess, I'm going to say there's maybe 15 minutes of cat and mouse antics. Like Tom and Jerry are probably in the movie, uh, maybe half of the movie, but that means the other half is a lot of Colin Jost just with a look on his face like, how the hell am I in this movie? Like how much money did I get paid for Tom and Jerry? I got to call my agent. And there's this whole love relationship with them. And, and like I said, the, the parents get involved. And I'm like, what the hell happened to Tom and Jerry? This may be an example of the executive saying, okay, let's make a movie and then we'll, you know, include Tom and Jerry in the action, but I think that is a flaw. I think you make a Tom and Jerry movie, period. And if you want to add in some other stuff, okay, sure. But the odd thing is the humans actually dominate this story from director Tim's story. 
So rather than being a Tom and Jerry movie, I, I almost felt like they were supporting characters, ancillary characters to this wedding, which, quite frankly, nobody who watched this movie really could care less about. I mean, maybe it's for the adults, but even the adults are like, no, give us the Tom and Jerry. Let's go. Good news is this. 2D animation, old school animation. I love it. I'm glad they did not do 3D animation. They also have the dog that shows. Remember the bulldogs always in Tom and Jerry? Love Bobby Cannavale. He plays the dog. I mean, as I mentioned, there's elephants in here. We got a couple birds. So I did like the old school animation. It felt a little bit like watching Who's Afraid of Roger Rabbit, the old school classic from Robert Zemeckis, in which you have, you know, live screen action with Bob Hoskins and Christopher Lloyd. Then you've got old school hand-drawn animation in the rabbit. So I did like that aspect of it, the old school nostalgia. Thank God Tom and Jerry do not speak. I believe there was a film came out early 90s, Tom and Jerry, in which they spoke, which is ridiculous. Come on, it's a cat. They don't talk, all right? Um... But overall, I'm going to give it two Maple Leafs. Like I said, my kids enjoyed it. Popcorn and slushies were great. I could be a lot harsher. Trust me. Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, the people are just skewering this movie. But hey, just good to be back in movies. Good to have a kid's movie to watch. Uh, Tracy Brown of the Los Angeles Times. If you're in a mood for this flavor of cartoon violence, you're better off hunting down the classic shorts or episodes of Tom and Jerry's past TV shows. And Eric Adams of AV Club. Tom and Jerry can't even let the cat and mouse escape from such bogus contemporary studio film standards. Two Maple Leafs for Tom and Jerry. Joe, you're a Tom and Jerry guy. You know, I've always been a Tom and Jerry guy, but I remember when I was a kid, Dad and Cuba Gooding Jr. came out with this movie called uh, Snow Dogs. And the whole time that they were showing trailers and advertising it, they are showing these dogs talking. And so I went to the theater, and there was one scene where Cuba Gooding Jr., I think he gets high or something and hallucinates, and the dogs talk to him. And it lasts two minutes long, and I felt so cheated because they weren't talking the whole movie. Were your kids? Did they? Did, it sounds like they weren't. They didn't feel like they were cheated. But were they expecting more Tom and Jerry? No, I think to be honest with you, they're just you know happy to be out of the house and watching the movie again. And again, low expectations. So I don't think they realized my gripe with the movie. And to be clear, I don't uh, come out of the film and start breaking down the cinematography to piss them off. I mean, let's just enjoy the movie, all right, kids? But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they would have enjoyed. More of Tom and Jerry, but they're happy with what they got. And, and whenever sequences involving Tom and Jerry, and as I said, the cartoon violence, like whenever an anvil got brought out and someone got drilled in the head. I mean, there's one scene, the bulldog, Bobby Cannavale just like hammers Tom with a, with a baseball bat, and they were loving it. So I, I hope it's not a uh, precursor towards some violence currently happening in the Verk household, but uh, they, they definitely enjoyed it. Oh, well, that's great. Don't let them mimic it. And show them some old Tom and Jerry shorts, too, yes. if this is a good introduction for them. That is the good news. We can definitely get back to some shorts. We're going to get to the Golden Globes recap in a second, but avid cinephile listeners know that me and Bob Costas are all in on Big Night. And thankfully, Joe has seen the great Stanley Tucci, Campbell Scott film, also starring Tony Shalhoub, Ian Holm, Isabella Rossellini, and as you texted me, Mark Anthony. Big Night, what do you got? Mark Anthony, I had no, the whole, I watched maybe half of it and, I, and it finally got to me. I said, who is that guy? He looked so familiar. And it's Mark Anthony and Adnan. I just want to say first, I absolutely love the film. Um, I also really liked Mark Anthony's character because there's always that young, really shy, quiet dude who is in um, a family restaurant who doesn't talk. And he's just that guy. He doesn't have a line. I was waiting for him to say a line. He doesn't have one line throughout the entire movie. Having said that, I absolutely love Tony Shalhoub and Stanley Tucci. Total, uh, uh, it, it, what kind of what you said about the father? It kind of felt stagey. The movie kind of felt like a, a stage play. Could have totally taken that. When they actually get to the dinner, I think that might have been my favorite favorite part because it's just course after course after course, giant meal after giant meal, and then there's just this random woman sitting at the table who says, 
My mom was a terrible cook after eating the best meal of her entire life, and then she just starts sobbing at the table, and I thought that was so, so funny. Um, also, a young Allison Janney in it. I thought she was great in it. I did not know that she she, she was going to be in the film, but Allison Janney, and then I cannot recommend this movie enough. I would give it three, three and a half Maple Leafs, but I'm so glad I watched it. So glad you recommended it to me. Good point about Allison Janney. Not to be a jerk here, but she's definitely had some work done. Like if you watch that movie, right, her teeth look different. She's, you know, she's glammed it up a little bit. But yes, good to see Allison Janney. She's playing a Tony Shalhoub's love interest in the movie, The Florist. Yeah, yeah, and she and she and the, just the whole dinner sequence too, with her, everyone just enjoying the meal so fully and with their entire selves. I thought it, it was just such a good take on. You know, immigrants, Italians coming to New Jersey and New York area at that time. But it was funny. It was charming. And the last scene, as you said last week during Mount Rushmore, just two brothers making eggs. I thought it was the perfect ending to that story. So you were not involved with Cinephile when I uh, spoke to Tony Shalhoub. But I asked him about that last shot. I said, you know, I just love that shot. Like there's just so much frenetic camera work in today's world and too much excessive MTV style editing. And I just love that it's an unbroken shot. I think it's like five minutes of a couple of guys just making eggs, right? A couple of brothers reconciling, arm on each other. I mean, it is such a beautiful ending. And Shaloub said, well, it's funny you mentioned, I mean, because a lot of people mentioned, they love that ending and exactly what you said, the shot. He said, but what people do not know is those eggs were hot. Because as you know, watching it, like Stanley's literally making the eggs and then boom, we start eating it. So he goes, nobody eats eggs right out of the fry pan. Like normally you give it like a minute. And he goes, and we did like, I think he said six or seven takes. And he goes, by the end, my mouth is on fire. So I'm glad that you enjoy the movie, but uh, the eggs were freaking hot. So there's a little thought there on uh, Tony Shalhoub. I'm so glad you saw it. Big night. Go check it out. Where did you see it, Joe? Is it available on a streaming service we can recommend to people? Uh, I I, uh, rented it for $2.99 from Amazon. I love it. Do what Joe did. Yeah, not too bad. Do what Joe did. Rent it for $2.99 from Amazon. Um, Coming up, we're going to recap the Golden Globe Awards. Jermaine Fowler, I'm telling you, this guy's awesome. And he's great in Coming to America. Plus the Mount Rushmore of Anthony Hopkins movies. All right, let's dive into the Golden Globe. So right out of the gate, we got technical difficulties with Daniel Kaluuya winning. Happy he won. As you all know, I gave Judas and the Black Messiah an excellent review, although I was pushing for Leslie Odom Jr. I love his performances as Sam Cooke in One Night in Miami. Chain Gang, acapella, amazing. But still, Kaluuya, good for him. Sucks the technical difficulties right out of the gate. Uh, big snubs here are Mank and Promising Young Woman. Sorry, Sam Surface. Mank led the field six nominations. I thought they would win a couple. Like, maybe Fincher might win. I, I was pretty sure Chloe Zhao was going to win, but I said, ah, maybe Fincher. I actually thought, of all of them, Seyfried might win for Supporting Actress. No! And the score by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, which we'll get to in a second. Actually, let's say it right now. I'm glad the winner won, which was Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. They teamed up with John Batiste for Soul, which is an incredible score, even if Tracy Morgan pronounces Soul as Sal. But that was one of my favorite wins of the night. Great, great score. I mean, freaking, how talented is Trent Reznor, man? Nine Inch Nails, another guy's a great film composer. Batiste, obviously, stud with Colbert, jazz legend, New Orleans, all the rest of it. And Atticus Ross, funny speech. He's like, he was the last one. He's like, I just want to thank my kids. Peace out. But I thought Seifert would win. She doesn't win. Fincher doesn't win. They got nothing. Promising Omen, four nominations. Again, I thought maybe a dark horse, screener Emerald Fennel, nothing. Uh, Kerry Mulligan had a chance, nothing. The big shocker of the night, honestly, stunning. 
Andra Day, or is it Andra Day? Best Actress in the United States versus Billie Holiday. Just premiered on HBO Max. 56% Rotten Tomatoes. Those are subpar reviews. Apparently, she's the only reason to watch this Lee Daniels movie, and she wins. I said McDormand's going to win for Nomadland, but watch out for Viola Davis from Romney's Black Bottom. If it's not those two, maybe Vanessa Kirby. She's great in Pieces of a Woman, a top five film of the year for me. None of those three win. And then I would have, by the way, I would have guessed Carrie Mulligan as my fourth choice. Maybe Promising Woman. No, my, my last choice is the one who wins. Unbelievable. Uh, Andrew Day, who is not a SAG nominee. The other four are all SAG nominees. Screen Actors Guild. She is not one, yet she wins Best Actress. So this could uh, cost some chaos here for the Oscars. Or maybe not. Maybe it means nothing. Because the Screen Actors Guild is obviously actors, and they represent the largest branch of the Academy. And maybe that is a better precursor to what happens at the Oscars. Golden Globes is only the Hollywood Foreign Press, which is like 52 people, as they made jokes continually last night. No black people. So who knows? Maybe it means nothing. Maybe it means everything. But it was definitely a continuing theme. You definitely saw a lot of black presenters and awards being recognized and a lot of foreign, okay? I mean, <laughs> the Golden Globes put the foreign in the Hollywood foreign press. I mean, God, can we get another winner for the crown? Jeez. Another surprise, Rosamund Pike, and I'll be honest. I just reviewed I Care A Lot. I do like her, but I wanted Maria Bakalova to win. Come on. I wanted Borat, subsequent movie film to win, and her to win, or maybe the legend, Michelle Pfeiffer. Maybe an upset in French Exit, which I have not seen, but instead, Rosamund Pike, definite surprise, and you could tell she was legitimately surprised. You want another surprise? This was also very shocking. Jodie Foster, Best Supporting Actress, The Mauritanian. Currently playing in theaters. Haven't had a chance to see it yet. Again, supporting film category is very tough to predict. Okay, Mahershala Ali, he lost in 2017 to Aaron Taylor Johnson for Nocturnal Animals. But Aaron Taylor Johnson did not get a SAG award or an Oscar nomination. Think about that. Ali won both those categories. Jodie Foster did not get nominated for a SAG award. So again, I'm looking at these nominees going, okay, probably Seyfried for Mank. Maybe Olivia Colman, The Father. If I had a third choice, I'd probably go Glenn Close, even though that's one of the worst nominations of the year for Hillbilly Elegy. And if I had a fourth choice, I probably would have gone Helena Zengel, 12-year-old German, News of the World. Give something to News of the World. Okay? Again, foreign. She's German. No, Jodie Foster wins. Previously won Globes for Best Actress for The Accused and Silence of the Lambs, won the Cecil B. DeMille Award in 2013. She kisses her partner on the lips. She's obviously very excited, but she might even get, not even get an Oscar nomination. I mean, it's crazy. I don't even know if this means anything. Um... Barb and Star made an appearance. I'll go to Joe on that. I don't know what the hell that was all about. Uh, that was Tina Fey, Amy Poehler's bit. The Crown. Okay, enough of The Crown. I don't know how this is a surprise. They keep winning everything. I, I'm tired of The Crown. I don't watch The Crown. My wife loves it since it's amazing. I'm out. Okay, enough. Uh, Lovecraft Country. Can't tell you anything about it. I know it was snubbed. And Animal Cameos. There was a bunch of those, which was obviously very entertaining. Big news is this. As I had predicted, for those who were listening to the Dan Levitard show last week, No My Land will win Best Picture. They won. Best Director, Chloe Zia. She won. Uh, Best Actress did not project, obviously, Andre Day. Best Actor, as I told you, Chadwick Boseman should have been Riz Ahmed. Riz is the best. But a great speech, by the way, by Chadwick Boseman's widow. Best Boseman Picture, Musical or Comedy. Let's get to what really made me excited. Borat wins Best Picture, which was awesome. I said, it's either going to be this or Palm Springs. The Palm is supposed to be very average. Music, I don't know one person who's heard of it, Kate Hudson, despite showing a lot of cleavage. No one knows to see in this movie. Hamilton, which was ridiculous. I mean, come on. I know we all love Hamilton, but come on. This should not win Best Musical or Comedy. It was like two years ago, for God's sakes. It was either going to be Borat or Palm Springs, both in my top 10. Borat wins. I'm thrilled. And then Best Actor, I got really excited. Again, I'm like, give it to SBC or Andy Samberg for Palm Springs. And who is it? Sasha Baron Cohen. So this gets very interesting because Ben Salzberg does a great job breaking down the Oscars. Follow him on Twitter. And he said, listen, if you win 
Best Actor, maybe get a chance at an Oscar nomination. Sasha Baron Cohen could be a double nominee. Supporting Actor, Trial of the Chicago 7. Best Actor, Borat. But the bigger news is this. The winner of Best Musical or Comedy, I believe the last six or seven years, has also gotten a Best Picture nomination. The original Borat was not nominated for Best Picture. So hopefully, Borat's subsequent movie film winning Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy will at the very least get a nomination for Best Picture when the Academy Awards do announce in a couple of weeks. That is all I care about. Uh, Queen's Gambit, yeah, okay, great. I mean, obviously, they're going to do well. Anya Taylor-Joy won. Great green dress. Gillian Anderson, of course, the crown, no surprise, was pulling for Pacino for, the, for Hunters. Hunters is not good, but it's Al, who was falling asleep when they showed him on Zoom. Quite frankly, I'd be falling asleep if I was 80 years old having to do that. Also was pulling for Bob Odenkirk, better call Saul. No, neither guy wins. Instead, it's his damn crown winning again. The only crown I care about is the batting crown, okay? Spring training is back. Very excited. Best foreign film was Minari which I was thrilled to see. Minari, by the way, ridiculous The Golden Globes nominated for Best Foreign Film. When the Oscars come out, it's going to be up for Best Picture, not just Foreign Film. So it's just, it's a ridiculous part of the Hollywood Foreign Press. You can make fun of the Hollywood Foreign Press about that. But the good news is, yes, indeed, it won Best Foreign Film. Shout out to Jason Sudeikis. Again, I was pulling for Rami. He's carrying the torch for that show. Instead, Sudeikis wins horrible speech. Don Cheadle hilariously tells him to wrap it up. Cheadle's great. Eugene Levy was hoping for a Canadian to win. McCathlin O'Hara wins. Great news for Canada. Schitt's Creek wins. Again, great news for Canada. So, uh, you know, they, they got their cake and soda. He did too. Again, another disappointment. I really wanted Leslie Odom Jr. to win for One Night Miami, the song Speak Now. Instead, The Life Ahead. Again, this is foreign press. That's the movie that... Um, Sophia Loren is in. I don't know anything about the song, but that one best song. I'm like, are you kidding? Okay, fine. Um, screenplay, Mark Simon's thrilled. I kind of rolled my eyes. I don't need Aaron Sorkin winning another award. Like, seriously. I, I would have given it to Emerald Fennell, Promising Young Woman. Pretty daring movie. Me Too Generation, uh, very much hitting the culture of zeitgeist. I would have liked to see an Emerald Fennell win. Instead, Sorkin wins. Sorkin probably going to win an Oscar. Who knows? I, shit, I would have given it to Florian Zeller, Christopher Hampton, the father. Talk about that script. That's pretty ballsy. Small Axe, John Boyega won. Uh, nice to see, although I was, again, cheering for Donald Sutherland and The Undoing. Best actor in a supporting role, as I mentioned off the top, Kaluuya wins. Jared Leto, bad mustache, bad flower on his shoulder. Uh, as my friend Rob Lemley texted me, I wonder if he was fidgeting with his lighting. For all those who know, Joe can tell you Jared Leto likes his lighting. Again, I want Leslie Odom Jr. to win. Uh, great to see Soul win Best Animated Movie. Awesome news. Well-deserved. Love the speech. Mentioning Jazz. Best performance by an actor in a limited series or motion picture made for television. This was the most loaded category of the night. Brian Cranston for Your Honor, which I haven't seen. Everyone tells me the last two minutes are terrible. So why am I going to watch a 10-hour show? We're 10 episodes of one hour. I love Cranston, but I can't. I, three people have told me, oh my God, the last two minutes are terrible. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know if I can watch it. But Cranston was up for best actor. Jeff Daniels, The Comey Rule, as I gave an underwhelming review here. Sorry to Rick Passmore. Hugh Grant, The Undoing. Love him. And I thought he was great. I'm pulling for Ethan Hawke. For God's sakes, I just read his book, The Good Lord Bird. Thought the show was okay. He was exceptional. Instead, it's Mark Ruffalo, for I know this much is true, which Joe and I reviewed here on Cinephile, and Ruffalo is incredible. I mean, he already won the Emmy Award, so I was like, all right, he's already got the Emmy. Can you give Ethan Hawke a Golden Globe? Give Hugh Grant a Golden Globe. Instead, it's Ruffalo. But he was amazing playing dual roles. Again, dealing with mental illness. Uh, it was on HBO, and certainly I highly recommend it. As far as Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, I'll be honest, I didn't see a lot of them because... I was putting the kids to bed. I'm kind of scrolling through to see the award winner. So I will now hand the baton to Joe. Tell me about Tina, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I didn't really watch their bits. I did not watch the Norman Lear business. I did not watch Jane Fonda. Uh, you tell me about all that stuff, what you thought of it. Because I know you were watching the whole show. Yeah, I, I would say, honestly, Adnan, the way I feel about this year's Golden Globes. And maybe I'm in the minority. Maybe I'm just saying what everyone's thinking. But I thought it was so awkward. 
I thought it was uh, it landed flat. It was my least favorite awards of theirs in years. I thought Tina Faye and Amy Poehler were the best parts of it, though. I thought their monologue was impressive because it was bicoastal. They were interjecting with each other, it, and in, you know, it it was. I thought that that was good, and I also was glad that they were there to say that you know everything was kind of messy that there were so many technical difficulties uh i i liked the speeches overall but over zoom i just felt like the long-winded speeches seemed even more long-winded or you know Catherine o'hara who i love she had that bit where her husband was playing her off you know with music from his cell phone and it because of zoom it just kind of um fell flat the best part of the night tell me what you think do you think this was on purpose Sal! Sal! Do you think Tracy Morgan said Sal on purpose? <laughs> I don't, it seemed genuine because his reaction afterwards, like he laughed at himself. So I don't think it was on purpose, but you're right. I, it was the number one moment of the night. I mean, I was like, everyone was tweeting about it, joking about it. Sal. I, mean, I don't know how you get Sal out of soul, but I don't know. Hey, man, I've also never presented the Golden Globes. You get kind of nervous sometimes. I think it was authentic. What do you think? I think I think it was also authentic. I think he realized right away that he that it was soul, and yeah, so he was laughing at himself. Um, I will say this too. I have two more points. One, Jodie Foster. I knew she was a Packers fan, but I didn't realize she was that big of a Packers fan to name check Aaron Rodgers in her accepted speech. Did you catch that? Uh, also shocking. I had a few people mention Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, okay, great. Her and uh, Shailene Woodley, big fans of the Packers quarterback. Right. Apparently, yeah. And then um, also, I just want to say that uh, Taylor. Simone Ledward, Bozeman's wife, she her acceptance speech on his behalf had me in tears, Adnan. I thought that that was the best speech of the night. Very powerful. And even like two presenters after, I was still thinking about what she said you know, how she said it. I thought that that part was amazing. Yeah, I mean, listen, we all knew Chadwick Boseman was going to win. It's not only a great performance, but obviously an incredible career. And it's tragic. It's tragic, honestly, that he's no longer with us. So uh, I agree with you. His widow did an uh, excellent job. I mean, talk about a genuinely moving speech. And he, sometimes there's some speeches, as you say, can feel labored, but that was authentic and genuine. And uh, the antithesis of Sudeikis, it was just awful for winning for Ted Lasso, although I know people really love Ted Lasso. Dan Stanzik, Pumped Fist. I know people really like that show a lot. So uh, good for Sudeikis, although hopefully better speech next time. And uh, hopefully NBC's numbers were okay for the Golden Globes. I'm with Joe. A lot of technical difficulties. Not sure about the whole razzle-dazzle. But hey, I love award shows, and obviously I was watching, as was Joe. All right. Those are your reviews. Those are your entertainment news. Coming up next, honestly, you're going to love this guy, Jermaine Fowler. He is the star of Coming to America, plus our picks for the Mount Rushmore of Sir Anthony Hopkins movies. Well, Coming to America, I mean, I can't think of many bigger deals this year than this film coming out. Obviously, the original is a comedy classic, and that's why there's so much hype for this second film coming out on March 5th. It's a real pleasure bringing in Jermaine Fowler. I had the pleasure of seeing the movie. We're recording this in February, so as I just told you, I'm terrified to say anything about the movie because of these embargoes, but I saw the movie. It was great. How are you doing right now? I'm doing good. Um, I don't know if you can hear my son crying downstairs, but uh, <laughs> it's been a morning. Um, me and my lady, our, my, my partner, uh, girlfriend, uh, their mom, we've just been like hanging out with the kids, you know, during this whole quarantine and just kind of enjoying watching them grow and, you know, watching each other grow as people too. Yeah, that has been one of the upsides of this. I've got four kids of my own and you're right. When you have time at home, it's great to spend time with family. At times, we're all losing our minds. I mean, I think we're all going to have to quarantine away from each other once this is over. But I, I, I think it's, 
um, impressive that you've been able to get all this work done while still being able to do this. Like I'm imagining normally when you're doing these junkets publishes, you're like, oh man, but now you're like, you know what? It gets me away from changing a diaper or two. So I'm okay. I'll, I'll talk as long as you want. That's hilarious. No, my mind is always doing this and then doing that at the same time. So um, I'm just, I've always been good at multitasking. So uh, I also love my kids. So that's just easy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and you know, I love what I do. I love, I love movies. I love movies. And I'm just so just happy that everything's given the circumstances of the, what's happening in the world. I'm just still grateful about, you know, having a movie that's coming out, people can enjoy and actually have fun and watch and laugh together with. And I, I'm super grateful about everything that's happening right now. Yeah. Like you said, it's not a chore when it comes to the personal or professional. It's funny the way you were describing that you're sometimes over here, someone's over there. I feel the same way. Like I'll literally be holding my child and someone's waiting to get my attention. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm listening. Like I, I can hear you. Like I can do two things at the same time. It's fine. It's just kind of happy. It just, you know, it's a muscle that you just develop over time, you know? So I totally hear you when you say that. So the movie itself, listen, it's funny because you go coming to America, you go, all right, here we go. Uh, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Tracy Morgan, uh, Wesley Snipes. We've obviously got Jan Amos back. We've got Louis Anderson. But Jermaine Fowler is a major, major part of the movie. I, I know nothing about it going in. I didn't even watch a trailer. I said, okay, we got Fowler. I can't wait. We're going to do this. Dude, you're, you're the lead in the movie. Like, this is amazing. It's so funny because, like, when you watch the trailer, you wouldn't even think it. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just me kind of like doing like reaction shots and running. And I'm like, oh, they don't even know that like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the movie movie. You know? so it's, but I'm glad because I hate trailers that give away so much of the plot. I'm very grateful yeah. that they didn't really give too much of the plot or anything sacred because um, I like going into a movie and not knowing so much about it. I think, I think, you know, when people market and promote movies, they try to get too much away. And I think the element of surprise these days is gone. I think because social media and, you know, uh, I just feel like I, we need some surprises sometimes. And not like negative surprises. No, like, no of course. Yeah. had enough surprises. <laughs> I'm talking about cinematic, cinematic surprises. Yeah. We don't mean like coronavirus variant surprises. No, 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 no. no, 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 no I'm not going to avoid it. I'm talking about happy surprises. How, how did you first get the role? Uh, I auditioned... Um, Let's, let's go back. Um, sure. My agent at the time sent me this, um, he said they were auditioning folks for coming to America. And um, I got the sides. I saw the sides. And um, I do not like, I don't like, I don't like auditioning. I just don't like, it's something I have to do. So to cheer me up to when, I, when I'm going in there, I usually take things out that I don't like and put a lot of me into the character because that's my job you know a couple tips for anyone who's auditioning they watch auditions all day they're probably bored as hell <laughs> and it's it's it would be helpful if you did something different so that's what i did uh just a little pro tip um but i um i, I made the audition mine but before i went in there um me and Craig Brewer had a 45 minute conversation about barbecue and I'm not exaggerating. It was a long ass conversation about barbecue. <laughs> he, is, he is, he is proudly, proudly from Memphis. Uh, he reps it proudly and I'm from DC. We both think our food is better than the other. Uh, mine's it. And uh, we had a great convo. And then I, I walked out of the room, said goodbye. And then I forgot why I was in there. And we both said, oh, the audition. And I walked back in. <laughs> I'm not lying. And I do the audition and it was just such a lovely, like warm room. And Craig, Craig Brewer is one of my favorite people because he just is, he just, he disarms you and does such a good job of like, because those rooms can be so, 
they, they, they're anxiety ridden. You know what I mean? Like they, they can make you feel unwelcome, you know, and, and Craig does not do that. He wants everyone to feel welcome. And that's what he did. So I walked out of that audition thinking, I don't think I got it, but I know I'm going to be working with Craig one day. I just know it. And I got a call back and it was a, it was weird. Cause I'm like, oh, okay, I must like me. And callbacks are weird. Cause it's like, you know, you know, callbacks are mostly like, all right, um, we like this guy, but we're not sure about him. So we're going to put him on this list and hold his schedule up from anything else. that Because he's <laughs> <laughs> we're on the fence about him. We, he's all right. right. Well, let's see him. Right. We're not sure if he's going to get the role, but we'll prohibit him from getting any sort of employment yeah. elsewhere. It's <laughs> not, not fair, man. I'm like, all right. But this is coming to America. So I'm like, I'll, yeah. so I'll go in and I did my chemistry read. Um, um, well, I did a, I did a, it was more of a, a production producer and director workshop, they called it. And that's what Craig called it. Craig said, Jermaine, don't think of this as, as an audition. And I, I just went, mm-hmm, okay. And he said, this is more of a workshop. And I, I, I immediately called bullshit. I was like, dude, <laughs> sure, it's not an audition. But I went in, I, I, did, I did both the scenes they wanted. And Craig told me, um, hey, you know, it's very seldom an actor gives you everything that you want on the first on the first tries, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I appreciate that. And I just ripped my lav, lav mic off and I didn't want to ruin the moment. And I walked outside and uh, I pretty much kind of teared up a little bit thinking about, you know, what I've, what I've been through up until that moment. And then I found out I got the movie through Boots Riley. Wow, and sorry yeah, to bother you. Right. right, he is not a manager or my manager. He is not an agent. Yeah, I, I was like, "Why you? One, why are you calling me?" And Boots said, "Hey, Jermaine, look, man, I got some, I got some news, man. You, I'm just letting you know, you coming to America." And I was like, "What, dude? How do you? One, how do you know?" And he's like, "I'm at the All Black Film Festival in Miami." And I was like, "Of course, hell yeah, I yeah, word spreading down there, right?" And um, I had to pretend, you know, my man, like one, I cried, I cried, I fully cried right when I heard that, and the. Uh, I didn't really call anybody or tell anybody. Um, of course, my lady, she knew, but I didn't, I don't know, that those moments, that moment was for me. You know, I work my ass off and uh, sometimes I feel like, you know, we get so worked up in this industry that like we forget, like, you know, it's okay to take moments to yourself and congratulate yourself and say, great job, you know? And that's, that's exactly what I did because that the original means so much to me, man. And to be bringing back the sequel with the original cast Man, such big shoes to fill, but super grateful and humbled by the experience, man. That's an incredible story, and I appreciate you giving it such authenticity. I just want to mention, because you were talking about the whole idea of auditions, there's two great stories. Philip Seymour Hoffman would not audition for Almost Famous, but he went there, because he goes, you know, at this point, I'm just not at the point of auditioning. He went in there and complained. He had seen a Martin Scorsese advertisement in Times Square, I think for Rolex, he went in there and for like five minutes complained about it and just the commercializationized it and left. And afterwards, Cameron Crowe realized, okay, that's his way of doing the audition. Like, I'm not going to humble myself on audition before you, but I will play the guy in the movie because this is what he would say. So that I thought was very interesting to your point about do something different, take a chance. The best chance story I heard, which didn't end up happening, but still hysterical, Will Ferrell is auditioning for SNL. He has a briefcase with him. He goes, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to say, Lauren, let's not bullshit each other. This is a briefcase of a lot of money. <laughs> I'm going to open up this briefcase. I'm going to leave and we're going to be good. He's waiting to do it. And he's like, I've got to commit to it. As you know, commit to the bit. Just do it and that's it. Like if I don't get it, whatever. It's SNL, man. Like I got to do this. 
<laughs> the woman calls him in as he stands up, very nervous. She says, you can just leave your briefcase there. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Goes in there, does what he needs to do, was really funny. Goes home, he's like, well, I can't wait to do the bit. He gets called, as you mentioned, a callback. He goes, all right, this time I'm definitely doing the briefcase bit. Again, similar situation. He walked in. There were several people in the room. He's like, oh, it just doesn't feel right. Secretary goes, you can leave your briefcase. He's like, okay, fine. He gets the part. He later tells Lauren Michaels. He goes, bro, this is what I was going to do. And Lauren goes, if you had done that, like that's high risk, high reward. If you had done that, I would have given you the job on the spot. Whoa. <laughs> but that's the point. Like the things that make you, like your gut usually tells you what's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this industry is really just luck and talent, you know, just mixed together. And just being patient with yourself is also extremely important, man. And those, I love those stories. And those are the stories that, that inspired me. Like, you know, hearing Pryor talk about his his early days. And so I know about the Will Ferrell story and the Philip Seymour Hoffman story. Like, all those stories are extremely important. I think we should all know those stories because they, they, they'll, there's always something we want to do, but we feel like, you know, playing it safe is is what's going to get us the job or, you know, you know, and it, and it usually playing it safe is just going to make you less memorable. You know, yeah. uh, you just got to do what makes you unique and what, what makes you different and go with your gut, man. So I, I love hearing those stories. man. It's emotional. When you get the part, you're now on set. How daunting is it? You're with Eddie and Arsenio and these major comedic names in what you know is the most anticipated sequel in years. It's, it's, it was daunting when I was flying to Atlanta, kind of freaking out, like, I'm about to film a movie with Eddie Murphy. I'm about to film a movie with Eddie Murphy. And I just, any movie, this is coming to America too. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I got on set and, you know, I, I met Ruth Carter. She gave me, you know, she the whole, uh, uh, we did a fitting with Ruth. And I'm like, Ruth is, her energy is just like, wonderful, beautiful. It's just the energy you want on set. Nothing, nothing that made me, overthink or you know uh, uh, uh second guess my purpose and why i was supposed to be there she so she was the first person i really met and then i got to meet uh craig on you know in his office craig again and then the more i started meeting people the more i realized oh we're all here for one reason we're all here to make an amazing movie we all love the original movie and thank god you know we had eddie arsenio uh sherry headley and john amos to guide us because we can't do these movies without the people that made the original so perfect, so legendary, so, so so classic. And so that's what relieved me of any, like, you know, any negative thoughts that you know, I might've had, you know, uh, whether it was like, man, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> you, know? But you, you, you realize like, Eddie saw my audition tape. He liked the audition tape. I was like, oh, there's that. Craig liked, likes, like my take on the character. Um, I love my coworkers. I love, you know, I love the cast. And that, that just made me so comfortable to just do everything that I do. And also, I just wanted to bring layers to the character. I just wanted to bring layers. So I was more, I was more up here than I was out there because I wanted to deliver something, you know, um, unique and something honest and truthful to who Lavelle was. And thank God I had that support to give me that comfort to do that. Well, you absolutely did. You knocked it out of the park. And there's so many funny scenes, individual lines. This is my favorite line. I'm so hungry I could eat the ass out of a zipper. zipper. I mean, is that scripted? Is that ad lib? Just tell me about that line. <laughs> no, that line, Leslie would tell you, 
Leslie, uh, uh, I think that was a that was a line she came up with by herself. But over to, and it broke Sherry all the time. Sherry is just so awesome. Um, right. Broke Sherry all the time. But Leslie kept experimenting with more and more like things to eat, uh, <laughs> <laughs> ways to pronounce things, and my thing is like uh, the, we bounced off each other so well is because she's so comfortable being in Zamunda. I'm more like kind of fish out of water and I don't want her to embarrass me. And like, you know, that, 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 that trade-off was just, I think, awesome. Like I, playing her son in that movie was so fun. Cause she reminds me of my family back in Maryland. And it just was, it wasn't hard to pretend, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> she was pronouncing things wrong and like, you know, just embarrassing me. Cause that's what my family does all, that's what family do, man. So that was, that was, it was fun playing alongside. I know we got a minute left. So I just want to ask you about Sorry to Bother You, which was obviously a very impactful movie. I just saw Minari, which with Steven Yeun stars in it. And it's amazing. I wanted to ask, have you seen Minari? Have you kept in touch with Steven at all? It's a great, great movie. Keep in touch with Steven all the time. Um, Steven's got, Steven's on a run. All right, Steven's on a magnificent run. He's done, I think, four, uh, Burning. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, he's done like four, three or four amazing movies back, back to back. And I, I keep in touch with Steven all the time. We both got kids and uh, we had kids around the same time during Sorry to Bother You. So like, he's like my road dog. I love Steve. And I, I believe Steve is the, the most, he, he acts so effortlessly. And we both want the same thing for each other. You know what I mean? We want to do things that are unexpected of us and, and, and uh, things that, you know, uh, are out of the box and stories that no one, that everyone's afraid to tell. Like, that's what we want to do. Steven's doing everything right. I'm so proud of him, man. That is my dude. So I'm glad you brought the movie up. I hope he gets everything he deserves. Yeah, you got nominated for Best Actor by the Sags, which is a great, great sign. And Lakeith Stanfield, obviously, Judas and the Black Messiah. Cannot wait to watch that coming out on HBO. I mean, that's supposed to be... It's everything. Everything from the score to the acting. That movie's amazing. That movie's... I'm so fortunate to be a part of that film, too, man. No, I appreciate your humility, your energy. People are going to love coming to America. Jermaine Fowler, this is the only beginning, man. Like you said, you're a hard worker. Enjoy the moment. Soak it up. And, and thanks again for your generosity. I appreciate that, bro. Thank you so much. Rushmore. For more on Anthony Hopkins, you can check out Scott Feinberg, my buddy's uh, podcast, Hot Reporter. It's so well done. He has an hour interview with Anthony Hopkins, who rarely gives interviews. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but he does give some funny stories early on, talking about um, you know just the whole British actors, Richard Burton being on stage, uh, transferring over to uh, to movies. Also, Scott did a really good interview with Gary Oldman. If you're a fan of Gary Oldman, you're going to listen to Hour 40 of that interview. Awards Chatter, it is called, from The Hollywood Reporter, and uh, Gary Oldman gives great stories. You know, Gary Oldman for years, underrated, right? Never could get an Oscar nomination. He was the best actor to not be nominated. He finally gets nominated for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and then he wins for Darkest Hour very shortly after. And it's funny, just hearing his stories, he goes, you know, you never know if you're not going to win. Everyone kept saying I was the favorite. And he said all four of us kept winning every single award show. He said it was me, and Allison Janney, and Sam Rockwell, and Francis McDormand. And every award show, the BAFTAs, the SAGs, the Globes, every year again, like all four of us were getting photographed 
choreographed together, but you never know. Hey, Oscar night, something could change. But instead, it once again was a, a clean sweep. So it was kind of funny the way he was like, in England, he goes, you don't really realize what a big deal it was. He goes, early in my career, maybe I was just cocky or arrogant. I, they said, oh, you got to, you know, do interviews and stuff to get Oscar buzz. I don't need an Oscar nomination. What do I give a shit? Like, I don't, who, who cares? And he said, only later, once you get into it, you're like, no, honestly, this is meaningful. And uh, hell, because you finally win one. It's great. Also, cool stories about how he pulled away from acting for a while, went through a divorce. He had full custody of his children. And rather than doing a bunch of movies, he said he looked for movies, quite bluntly, that would pay well and could keep him in England. And that's why he was in the Harry Potter movies. And he said it was great because it introduced him to a new audience. Instead of the guy from Sid and Nancy playing Sid Vicious, instead of the guy from True Romance pretending he's black and getting shot up by Christian Slater... He's in the Harry Potter movies. And he said one time he was at a friend's house and he said, listen, my kid's a huge fan. Can you just go over and say hi? Because he's staring at you. He said, sure. He goes over there and says whatever his character's name was from Harry Potter. And the other kid's standing there goes, you're not him. You're Commissioner Gordon. So he started laughing because between Batman and Harry Potter, I've had a completely new career from what uh, so-called movie aesthetic people will be into. But if you've never seen Darkest Hour, guy, he is outstanding as Churchill. That's my uh, Gary Oldman aside as we get into Anthony Hopkins speaking of the line in winter. Great career. Let's get this out of the way. Dr. Hannibal Lecter, only in the film 22 minutes and yet one best actor. That's just how chilling and ferocious his performance is. Fava beans and a nice Chianti. I mean, the fact he's just so chilling and those cold blue eyes. I mean, Jonathan Demme, there's not a director who loves a close-up more than Demme. And the scenes where they go back and forth where Jodie Foster tells him about her dreams uh, of the lambs and what it all means and the way that the way that shot with those shadows in his face. I mean, it's, it's tough to get out of your head, including the indelible final line. Good screenplay by Ted Talley. I'm having an old friend for dinner from uh, Hannibal the Cannibal. Sansa Lambs, obviously cannot go wrong with that. A film that I think is, is almost as good. I mean, I, you know what the hell? It is as good. Remains of the day. Incredible film. James Stevens, Merchant Ivory, uh, gorgeous Period drama about a butler who keeps all of his emotions inward and repressed and is unwilling to deal with the fact what his boss is up to, nor reconcile his feelings and emotions for the housekeeper, Miss Kenton, played by Emma Thompson. It is honestly one of the most beautiful love stories I've ever seen, certainly of the 90s of that decade, up there with the end of the affair. And Hopkins is so good at showing the repressed feelings of this butler who never takes into account what he cares about. He's always in the service and the servitude of his master, but it is a remarkable performance. He followed it up with Shadowlands in the same year playing C.S. Lewis. I'm not going to include Shadowlands, but I'm telling you, Anthony Hopkins has been acting for the 70s and 80s, primarily in the stage, and then all of a sudden, boom, the whole world knew him, I think in his early 50s, because he makes Sons of the Lambs, Remains of the Day, Shadowlands, this guy's awesome. And then he very bluntly says he just wants to make a bunch of money. Before we get to making a bunch of money and making movies like Hearts in Atlantis and Bad Company and Red Dragon and The Human Stain and Alexander and Proof and a bunch of other crappy movies, let's be honest, Mission Impossible 2, Meet Joe Black, I mean, come on, Titus. Um, he was also in Nixon, which I love, because again, Owen Gladman has said this, a lot of actors like Olivier work from the outside in. Method acting is inside out. This is outside in. So let me get the, the prosthetics and the facial structure, and I'll go from there. I just think Nixon doesn't get mentioned enough. But Anthony Hopkins portrayed that paranoia so well in playing Richard Nixon. And uh, I love his relationship with Joan Allen in the movie as well. The way he's very profane, talks in third person. Anthony Hopkins is Nixon. I mean, I, just the fact he pulled it off. A British guy playing an American president? Remarkable stuff. Surviving Picasso, I thought would be great. He played Pablo Picasso. It wasn't very good. Shout out to The Edge, which I love. David Mamet's script. You've got Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin going head to head. Alec Baldwin has often said it's the hot of his career working with Tony, as he calls him. 
Amistad, I thought, was overrated. I'll be honest. I didn't think it was a great performance by John Adams. He kind of just shows up. There's a little bit of grandstanding. I don't think it's one of Spielberg's better movies, so I'm not going to include that. I know some might. Uh, here's where he starts to mail it in. Instinct. I'm like, come on. What are you doing? And at this point, I think obviously, just give me the check. Beowulf doesn't care anymore. Give me some money. Thor. Uh, Hitchcock is very cartoonish. I couldn't really buy him as, Anthony, as Alfred Hitchcock. It was just kind of silly. But then he shows us, listen, he's still a great actor, despite the fact he was in Thor Ragnarok. The two popes, honorable mention, but of course, I'm going with The Father. Remarkable performance playing a guy suffering from dementia named Anthony. The final scene of this movie is some of the best acting of Anthony Hopkins' career. It is absolutely magnificent. Sons of the Lambs, Remains of the Day, Nixon, and The Father. Honorable mentions to The Two Popes and The Edge. Joe? And then I am going to back you up on the two popes. I'm going to put it on my list only because I wasn't, I've only seen it once, but I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. I thought it was charming at times, funny at times. It, it was more than just two popes meeting each other. I really liked it. Um, and then I will back you up on Nixon as well. Nixon, Richard Nixon is a character that has hit kind of parody and that movie like you said, re he really conveys the paranoia and really gives like a human aspect to Nixon that a lot of people don't. I'm also going to throw on Gary Oldman, Francis Ford Coppola, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. I'm throwing that on there. Yes, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I loved it back then, but why not? And then Silence of the Lambs. I don't, I don't think you can mention Anthony Hopkins without mentioning that movie in the same breath, but... While we're here, my honorable mention will be to 2005, the movie Proof, another play uh, adaptation. I really liked that with Gwyneth Paltrow and Jake Gyllenhaal as well. But my official four are The Two Popes, Silence of the Lambs, Nixon, and Bram Stoker's Dracula. What is Proof about, Joe? It rings a bell, but tell me more about it again. So Anthony Hopkins is this um, old professor of math, like math savant genius, and his daughter uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is reconciling. I, I can't quite remember because it's been a, year, a few years since I've seen it, but I think he passed away, so he exists in flashbacks, and uh, she finds this proof, this mathematical proof that can change the world, essentially, and so the whole movie's dealing with you know, her relationship with her dad, Jake Gyllenhaal playing a young mathematician slash love interest, and then, you know, where she fits into all of this. So I really, really like that. It takes place in Chicago. Love Chicago movies generally. But if you haven't seen Proof, I would definitely recommend that to everyone listening. Nice. That's awesome. All right. That is the uh, Mount Rushmore of Sir Anthony Hopkins. Obviously a great, great actor. And again, go check out The Father wherever you can. You will not be sorry. Thank you so much for checking out Cinephile. Next week, a review of Coming to America. Uh, thank you so much to Jermaine Fowler. Thanks to Joe, as always, for bringing it when it comes to the Golden Globes recap. And uh, I'm just glad you saw Big Night. I mean, how great is Louis Prima? I mean, when he first tells me, he goes, Louis Prima, he's a friend of mine. The way Louis, he goes, <laughs> the way he's doing he goes, oh, yeah, I know him. Like, yeah, jazz guy. Oh, he's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that whole scene when they play Bonacera, <laughs> I mean, like you said, the, those scenes, the amount of food in that movie, I mean, I just, it's mouthwatering when the, when the main courses start coming. One after one, they start dancing to Louis Prima. It's such an infectious movie. Oh, man. Ian Holm biting Stanley Tucci's butt. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I la I laughed out loud. I lulled. I LOL'd right in that moment. And, so and Tony Shalhoub being such a purist, you know, they should come for the food. Like when Tucci's trying to tell him, like, hey, can we, you know, liven it up a little bit? He was like, oh, maybe we can get, uh, what's it called? Uh, a hot dog? 
a dog <laughs> just, just <laughs> mocking his brother. And even the fact that like Tucci's supposed to be the star of the film, you like him, he's having an affair. Like I love that they put that in there. Like he's he is not this, you know, two-dimensional nice brother. He's actually banging Isabella Rossellini. He was married to Ian Home. I, I remember thinking like, oh, that was a bit of a bait and switch. Did not see that coming. Oh, 100 percent. And and Minnie Driver in it too. Like uh, you're you're trying to um, sympathize with these two brothers, but one of them is just totally stingy and cannot see the bigger picture, and the other one's just having an uh, having an affair with his quote unquote friend's wife, who lied to him to get Louis Prima there. Like it, there's a whole layers to it. I loved it. Big night's the best. Uh, thanks so much for checking out Cinephile. We'll see you at the movies. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.